Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts. People that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Malk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as comedian, writer, broadcaster, and recently retired lactator. My views are my own and, and nothing to do with anyone who pays me. Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words, in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Terry Siakis. Hello. Hello, Terry. <laughs> in social settings, how do you introduce yourself? How do I introduce myself? That's a good question because uh, I, I, well, until recently wore many hats, but now I guess the, the main hat is, is mum. So the, the bit about my views are my own and nothing to do with anyone who pays me. There's, there's not a whole lot of people paying me at the moment, but that's okay. <laughs> 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 the government would be paying you. Oh, yeah, look, I'm sponging off the government like everybody else. You know what we're like, these mothers at home. We're just, you know, this is the Australian housewives do their ironing and uh, sponge off the government. Yeah, I'm one of those. <laughs> oh, look, I could think of worse things to do, that's for sure. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm belittling my uh, profession in inverted commas as a mother. There's a lot more to it than that, that's for sure. What do you do really well? Um, at the moment, I would have to say I, I multitask really well at the moment mm -hmm. um, in my capacity as um, a mum and, you know, the runner of a household, which is all sounding a little bit 1950s as I'm saying it, <laughs> um, but also as someone who, you know, I, I, I did do uh, stand-up and broadcasting and I'm, I'm sort of still dipping in and out of, of writing, I have to say, but I have to try and find time to make all of that fit. And and even though I'm doing a lot more mothering than I'm doing of anything else, the other stuff is still really, really important to me. So um, mm. I'm very good at doing about three different things at once and I'm also very good at staying up till about 1 o'clock in the morning to get everything done. <laughs> <laughs> how, how does that impact you then when <laughs> mothering is quite demanding and the kids have very early rising times? Yes, they do. Yes. Well, until recently, my two-year-old, his his rising time was five o'clock in the morning. So there was, you know, oh. that four-hour window of me sleeping and then having to start the day again. So that was, <laughs> that was fucking wow. awful. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, how does it impact? Well, look, my there's physical impact. So the the uh, dark circles under the eyes are getting, <laughs> are getting bigger. They're now spreading from under the eyes to halfway down the face, I think. Um, and... Yeah, the fuse is probably a little bit shorter. I, I was I was never very good at dealing with dickheads. I have absolutely no patience for dickheads whatsoever now. So if uh, if someone's tripping my trigger, I'm very quick to let them know. <laughs> There's lots of people in the world that are dickheads. There are heaps of dickheads out there. There are. You know, on some days I think there's more dickheads than non-dickheads, to be honest with you. And and the problem with dickheads is that a lot of them don't know that they're dickheads. So they're, they're carrying on merrily regardless. And uh, on a bad day, <laughs> I, I don't mind telling them. <laughs> <laughs> what challenges you? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think my... The thing that challenges me the most is is understanding that perfection is not always required or ideal. Um, mm -hmm. And look, that's that's been a big thing. I was a in my my working life, my professional capacity. I was a high achiever, 
and mm. I've sort of applied the same kind of work ethic and expectation, I guess, to what I'm doing now at home with two children and you can't be a perfectionist <laughs> at home with two children <laughs> because, well, nothing, even if you get something perfect, it's only going to stay that way for the 30 seconds that it's going to take you to look at it and go, yeah, that's pretty much perfect. Um, but also children aren't perfect and the process of being a parent is not perfect and things happen that are not perfect. So I, I think my challenge at the moment is to relax a little bit more about the things that are not are not perfect <laughs> and, it's a, and it's a big challenge. So it's very much a, a challenge that's on the home front rather than a professional challenge, but it's, it's a pretty big challenge nonetheless, I have to say. That perfectionism that you held so dear professionally was that born out of mm. Terry as a student? Um, I think that was born out of a few things. That was born uh, first and foremost out of Terry as a Virgo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as, as people listening going, oh, yeah, that horoscope stuff is bullshit. Well, it might be, but not for Virgos because I challenge you <laughs> to assess a Virgo and go, no, nah, there's, there's no perfectionism there. There's no... Uh, <laughs> you know, being uptight and anal retentive about stuff. Um, I think first and foremost it came out of that. I think it's also the legacy of being a, a firstborn child. I have two younger sisters mm. and I think um, a lot of it came out of that. And I see some of the same bits and pieces of those traits in my, my oldest child as well too. She seeks to do things quite differently to the way her brother does that I think the expectation on her as a as an eldest child has probably got a little bit to do with it. So I have to be mindful of that, going back to what the challenges are. Um, hmm. Some of it also I think comes back to just, oh, I was brought up with a pretty strong work ethic. Both my, my parents are hard workers. My um, my grandparents were um, migrants who, who came to Australia and immediately set about proving themselves and working hard. And I think some of it is also just a bit of a, an example that's been, been given by my forebears to a, to a certain degree, you know, work hard, do your best, mm. always do your best. It can, it's a, it's a good thing. It can be a stressful thing at times to constantly put that pressure on yourself. Um, but, yeah. but ultimately I, I think it is a, a good thing. And certainly for me, when I was, was working, it was the thing that led to, um, you know, the, the work that I was proudest of and the, the stuff that I feel that I did to the absolute best of my ability. How are you uh, trying to develop these positive character traits in your kids? Um, it's a tricky one, you know, because I read a lot of stuff online about parenting and the hmm, different... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole other podcast um in fact i might do it one day but it's 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 hard because there are so many different schools of thought about mm. how to you know how to not fuck up your kids basically but i i'm wary of of i'm wary of praising too much because i don't want my children to be to grow into people who seek praise and who seek yep. approval from others in order to feel that they've done a good job. I feel sure. to a certain extent I grew up that way. And and really, if I'm to be completely honest, I, I think that I, even in my professional capacity, was an approval seeker. Um, and I was very careful about the, the people that I, 
I chose to seek approval from having said that but I, I certainly think that that I did that in my professional capacity I guess with my kids I I just try and and encourage them to be happy with what they have done because they are happy with what they have done so to give you just a really simple mm-hmm. basic example you know drawing a picture my daughter who's about to turn six oh mum you know I did this wrong I'm gonna scrunch it up I'm gonna well why oh because so and so won't like it or well how do you feel about it oh I think it's okay oh well then that's good enough so you know that's a mm-hmm. really really simple example of of how I'm doing that with my kids but it's it's yeah it's tricky because you don't you want them to do well but you don't want them to be hung up on doing well and you don't want them to beat themselves up over something that they feel that they haven't done well mm. were there times where you beat yourself up over stuff you've done well so forth uh when i beat myself up over things that i hadn't done well do you mean sorry yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh absolutely and and look um you know, I did stand up for for ten years, and there were <laughs> there were very few gigs that I didn't. You know, it was very rare for me to walk off stage and go, "Yeah, I nailed that." Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. your your feedback is pretty immediate um, with stand up, and and certainly more often than not, I would walk off stage, and and there would be stuff that that I would be not angry at myself about, but you know, you oh, I should have done this, or I should have done this this way or um you know because the the feedback is is so immediate and so you know instantly when you haven't done something the way that you feel it should have been done you you know because the audience tells you but Mm. but you also know what you what it is you should have done differently so you you know immediately that the fault lies with you it's not the audience's fault it was your fault it's a pretty brutal self-evaluation process, isn't it, when it comes to comedy because of that immediate feedback from the customer? Absolutely. Absolutely. And in many ways, I mean, when I started out doing stand-up, I loved I loved stand-up so much and I could not imagine doing anything else. Um, but having said that, I was very fortunate in my stand-up career that my stand-up career um, – allowed me to learn some other skills and work in some other jobs as well. So I was a, a, a writer for a number of years for TV and I also wrote a, a column and I, I wrote a book and I and I also was fortunate enough to work in, in radio for a number of years. And mm. um, it was interesting because the feedback was so immediate in stand-up, the, the pressure was always on in stand-up. I feel like I really relaxed a lot more and became more me as a performer when I was doing radio because I, I didn't have to worry about the guy sitting in the front row with his arms folded, uh, you know, alternating between looking at the ceiling and picking his nose. Like, I, you know, I didn't, he might have been out mm. there, but I couldn't, I couldn't see him, you know. So um, radio for that reason was, was terrific for me because, it, you know, I just, I just did what I thought was the best job that I could do. I didn't have to worry about getting the immediate feedback, whether it was good or bad. I just did stuff the way I thought it should be done. And and for the most part, you know, without sounding like a wanker, for the most part, I think I, I did a, a better job as a performer in, in a broadcasting capacity than I did in a stand-up capacity because that pressure was, was off. Do you still keep your hand in as far as stand-up? Uh, not in a performance sense. I haven't done stand-up. Um, since, uh, 
what was the last time I did stand-up? Well, it was before I, f- I fell pregnant with my eldest. So she was born in 2009. So it's been, yeah, a long, long time, about 2008, I think, was the last time I did stand-up. Um, and that was a, a conscious decision to step back from it. Um, towards the mm. end of my stand-up career, I just wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. I just I wasn't loving it anymore. I wasn't passionate about it anymore. But I was yep. passionate about the other things that I was doing. I was I was writing and broadcasting at the time, and so I made a conscious decision to stop doing the thing that I enjoyed the least and focus my my efforts and my time on the stuff that I enjoyed the most. Um, so I, I haven't performed for you know a, a long time, but I I still go and, and see stuff when I can. It's I mean it's harder now with small children and and you know limited access to babysitting, which is our situation at the moment. So I don't get out mm. and see as much as I would like. I actually watch a, a, a lot of stuff online because I because mm. <laughs> I can't get out. Um, yeah. You know it's it's with small children to a certain degree you you turn into a bit of a a shut-in by necessity sometimes. Um, so I, I try and keep up with stuff online, even if it's just, you know, little clips here and there of, of people that I've heard about or or that I'm interested in, you know, seeing the latest thing that they've done. And also, you know, I, I keep in touch with um, – I, I was so fortunate, you know, I, I made some amazing friendships out of stand-up and I, I have kept in touch with – with lots of people, um, and I, I don't, I don't see them as often as I would like to, but I, but I certainly still keep in touch with them, and you know, Facebook and Twitter and all that kind of stuff are really good, good when you're at mm. home with kids and living your social <laughs> life vicariously through other means. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still around, but not in a performance sense, I guess. Terry, what for you is a source of strength? Wow, that's a very deep question. I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I wasn't, don't take this the wrong way. I wasn't expecting to go so deep and meaningful. What is a source of strength? Um, I think my uh, relationships with my husband, my children, my family. Um, I come from a very close family. Mm. And um, and we've been through a lot as a family, and I think our our love for each other has has helped us through a lot. Um, you know, we've had everything from you know I had postnatal depression after Ella was born, and it came back when I was I was pregnant with Henry, so that was a pretty you know ball tearingly awful time for me. And I I know that I would never ever have got through that if it wasn't for you know my husband first and my my family and my close friends second. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I think I think my relationships. I'm not a religious person, so I couldn't I couldn't give you know faith as a as an answer to where my strength, where I gain my strength. But yeah, I think my relationships would be would be where where it comes from. You know, my my love for people and people's love for me. Mm. Do do you mind if I ask you about the PND? No, not at all. Not at all. I I have to say I'm very, very open to talking about it. And and from the time that I um, admitted that that was going on, because there was a good 12 months of being, you know, in denial and trying to cope with it at the same time. But from the time that I I acknowledged that that was what was happening and, and sought treatment for it, I've actually made a point of being very open about discussing Mm. it because 
you know, the big thing with postnatal depression is that there is this, you know, as with a lot of mental illness, I suppose, there is a lot of stigma around it and people are, are hesitant to talk about it because of that stigma. But also, you know, there's a lot of shame that's associated with postnatal depression because it's meant to be, mm. you know, the most amazing, happiest time of your whole life and look at this beautiful baby and look at, and you're, you know, pretty much sitting around just wanting to kill yourself. And so it's very, 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 um, can be very difficult to talk about and because a lot of people don't um it, it intensifies the the shame that's associated with it you know it's that vicious circle of well nobody mm-hmm. talks about it so i'm not going to talk about it but geez if someone did talk about it maybe maybe it would be easier for me to talk about it so yeah i'm i'm more than happy to talk about it what what was it like or what prompted for you the the admission you said that you were sort of struggling with it for 12 months beforehand and didn't kind of know how to get around it and then it was yeah that what was that moment um well I think look there are a few things that were going on I guess uh, you know being a first-time mother it was hard to know what was a normal part of new motherhood in terms of baby blues and all that kind of stuff and what was abnormal so there was a little bit of not really knowing what I was dealing with for a lot of the time um and for that reason i i kept it completely you know under under wraps like not even my family knew what was going on my husband knew that something wasn't right and i'd I'd never had depression like you Mm -hmm. know real depression before and so we there was nothing that we could liken it to but he he knew from pretty early on that something wasn't right i'd also had a really you know, awful um, birth experience too. So there was a bit of um, postnatal, post-traumatic stress as well. That one was pretty easy to identify and go, well, okay, this this whole thing of, you know, every time you hear the song that was playing in the birthing suite, you freak out. Yeah, that's probably that's probably not very normal. Yeah. Um, so I think he was able to observe it more closely that things weren't right. And, and I just wasn't coping. There was a lot of, you know, just just being miserable, a lot of crying, um, a lot of, you know, there were days where I just just physically couldn't do anything and it got to the point and I I wasn't talking with him about it and and basically the the catalyst came when he pretty much, and this is going to sound really harsh, but it was what needed to happen after, you know, 12 months. He, He pretty much gave me an ultimatum and said, listen, you either need to go and get some help and some advice on this because I don't know what to do to help you because you're not talking to me. You, you need to do this mm. or we, we can't, you know, we can't coexist. I, I can't do this anymore. So it was, it was pretty much an ultimatum, but you know, it, 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 for my situation at that point in time, it was absolutely what I needed to, yeah. to be told. I needed to stop dicking around and I needed to, be proactive and talk about what was going on and get some help because I didn't know what to do. And God bless him, he didn't know what to do because, you know, we suspected we knew what we were dealing with, but we we didn't really know for sure and we didn't know what we needed to do to to make it better and for me to get better. Yes. Gosh, that's, that's that's a big call. By your husband to, to yeah, absolutely. line that up and absolutely. I guess be measured on it, you know? Yep, yep, because, you know, there was that small chance that 
I, in the depths of the despair that I was in at the time, there was that small chance that I could have turned around to him and gone, okay, we'll see ya, <laughs> you know, and there, yeah, there we were yeah. with an almost 12-month-old and me being really not in a good way and, and him wanting to help but me not letting him in, um, you know, there was there was a chance that there could have been a completely different outcome from that conversation. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're dead right. It was a big big call to make but I think he he knows me, knew me then and knows me now well enough to know that that was, you know, I, sometimes I'm the sort of person I need to kick up the ass before I really do something and, and, and he knew <laughs> He knew where to where the what sort of kick and where to put it in that situation. So mm, yeah, so, yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say it, it sounds like he very clearly loves you and and knows you pretty well to to measure that. You know, he yeah. was at the end of his tether, and yeah. uh, Terry's going to respond to this. I have to roll the dice, but I think it's going to help. Yeah, absolutely, and it clearly helped both of you. Absolutely, and that's the thing about PND. You know, it's not just the impact on the person who is who is suffering it as in you know the person who's experiencing it it's it affects partners as well it affects the children too so it's it's one of those things that to not address it and to not deal with it and to continue to try and blindly battle on regardless you know the ripples of that are damaging beyond the the person the ripples are coming from do you know what i mean so yeah yeah. um yeah it's it's it was a huge deal and it was a um it took uh, probably close to oh, probably eighteen months all up from from my first um, therapy to the to the end of the process. I guess it wasn't wasn't constant therapy, but you know, on and off for maybe eighteen months, more intense to start with, and then on and off for eighteen months before I considered myself to be um, fully recovered. Um, so it was a yep. it was a long long process, long process, but one that. Um, and this might sound weird, one that I, I am actually now in, you know, this far down the track, glad that I went through because I think my appreciation for for my kids and my life and what we have is, is a lot greater now than it was before. And I think that I, you know, it's that thing of having to know the true depths of despair to be able to really appreciate happiness as well because if you kind of go through your life Mm. all happy happy joy joy all the time never really you know never really experiencing anything else I think you you might not always actually appreciate that happiness you know I took my daughter in the last school holidays I took her to see the um kids movie Inside Out and that yep. that illustrated for me, you know, she was loving this movie, and I was sitting there bawling my fucking eyes out um, because <laughs> you know there's this wonderful, wonderful point in the movie where you know joy and and sadness kind of meet, and and you know without wanting to spoil it for for people that haven't seen it, they they have this this conversation that identifies the the beauty and the necessity for for each of them to exist and. And for me, you know, sitting <laughs> sitting there with my my six year old, just crying my eyes out because that was the, the thing that I that I learnt and that I appreciated so much out of my experience with um, with postnatal depression. Oh, I'm right with you there uh, on on Inside Out. I was I didn't 
I, I, I love the film, but I couldn't look at my kids for probably the five minutes oh, afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Just got something in my eye, kids. <laughs> yeah, I'm allergic to this popcorn. Um, so, yeah, it's been interesting, you know, kids' movies and, and the things that I have, um, you know, as, as an adult with a, with a history and, you know, a, a life lived, the, the things that you bring to watching kids' films because I had that experience with Inside Out and then I had an experience with the movie um, Home where I just thought, you know, there's this part of the movie where all the, the, the humans are, are taken from, well, they're taken from America and they're, they're dumped in uh, what is essentially a glorified gulag in Outback Australia. And I went, <laughs> yes. wow, that's offshore detention. So when I want to, when I want to explain that <sighs> to my daughter, okay, remember that bit, remember that bit in home mm. where they just took all those people and separated them from America. Yeah, remember that? That's that's kind of what we do. Um, so you know, it's mm. been yeah interesting watching a few different kids' movies. The perspective that you have as an adult and your knowledge of the world, what you what you bring to what's represented in these films and I'm, I'm sure they're not designed to be metaphors for this stuff but geez you can you can find stuff in there yeah very easily very easily where is the line between public and private for you ah well that was a very definite line when I was uh working Mm. Um, and that line now, <laughs> mm. I don't know whether everything's private or everything's public. <laughs> I, just, I, just, <laughs> I really don't know um, because, I mean, I look at, you know, things like what I what I use my, my Twitter for now or my Facebook for now and it's everything's just kind of all there, whereas before it was, you know, um, there was a, a thought process about why am I posting this and what is this saying about, you know, what's the reason for me as a comedian or a broadcaster or a writer to post this? Now it's kind of like everything's just everything's just everything. Everything's just kind of all meshed together now because it's six of one and half a dozen of the other. So hmm. I don't know. I don't know where the line is. I, I think the line is kind of hidden under Vegemite smears and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> The detritus of small children. I, I don't know. I, I really, I don't think there is so much of a line anymore. I'm not, I don't feel like, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't done um, a lot of work in the last few years. So I kind of don't feel like I have a profile as such in inverted commas. Like I'm not conscious of that the way I was when I was working. And I don't mean that in a wanky way. I just, I just mean now mm. when I, when I, post stuff I'm just posting stuff as me I'm not thinking well is this me as a performer or me as a you know um, a mum at home Um, it's just yeah I don't think there is a line I don't think there is a line anymore are you saying that your brand values have changed (laughs) I'm saying that my brand has uh shat itself essentially no (laughs) no I think I don't know I I don't think about that stuff I just you know even the the term brand I'm just me now I just and and it's not that I wasn't me before I think there was just a bit more um the more I think about this maybe I'm thinking now I've just lost any kind of professionalism that I (laughs) that I had and now I'm just like (laughs) now I'm just like 
You know what? I'm sitting here in suburban Melbourne. I have Vegemite smears all over me. Uh, there's a half-cooked bolognese on the stove. Fuck it. I'm just going to post whatever. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, maybe there is no professionalism. I don't know. I feel a lot more honest at this point in my life than I think I've ever been um, in in any of my profession, uh, professional capacities because there's no... Like I just I don't second guess anything that I say or do now. A because <laughs> I don't have the fucking time, um, but also because I just don't. Uh, you know, when I was writing or or broadcasting or performing, there was always an audience somewhere to be mindful of. And now I kind yeah. of feel like I just say what I think, and I I I don't care whether or not it's funny to start with which is not to say that I've lost my sense of humor but my aim is not always now to be funny I just my aim is just to say what I think and and be Mm. true to to myself and I guess it's it's also the product of trying very very hard as as most parents do to to raise good honest kids who are true to themselves too so it's you know it's very difficult to be one thing and teach another you know that whole do as I say not as I do thing is easier easier said than than done so I I think in many ways I'm a more authentic version of myself now than you know at the the tender age of 38 than I think I've I've ever been in in my life to be honest do you think that's important that that authenticity oh absolutely absolutely it's important because you know it's a real effort to try and be something that you're not or even to to present a certain version of yourself and and you know to be to be truthful when we're talking about the postnatal depression that that year of not letting on what i was experiencing what was going on in my life that was all about presenting uh, a version of myself that was not the right version but it, it, as in mm. it wasn't the true version. It was the version that I wanted people to see because I, I didn't want to acknowledge that I wasn't coping with something. And yeah. that takes a lot of energy. And there are, there are physiological effects of that too. I remember when I, um, when I started, I, I'll never forget this, when I, when I started my therapy with my wonderful, wonderful psychologist who I'm indebted to, but I think we'd had maybe, I don't know, three or four sessions maybe, so a couple of weeks' worth of, of sessions and I came to her one day and I said to her, this this is going to sound really weird and you're going to think I'm properly nuts, but do I smell weird to you? <laughs> she goes, what, what, what do you mean? So I, I started therapy at the same time that we got this, you know, sleep fairy in because Ella was waking every 40 minutes overnight. Mm. So I was massively sleep deprived, massively stressed, but everything kind of very quickly started to sort itself out within these first two weeks of therapy, right? And I said, do I, do, yeah. I, do I smell weird? I said, I smell, I feel like I have this metallic kind of smell that's coming out of my skin and it doesn't matter how, what I use when I shower or what I put on my skin afterwards. I said, I can, I can smell this smell coming out of my skin. And she started laughing and she said, well, actually, she said, what that is, is that is all the excess adrenaline that your body has been producing to get you through you know, fuck all sleep and the, the mm. massive levels of stress. Um, she said, Gosh. you're you're excreting adrenaline, you're excreting, um, what's the other stress hormone? Cortisol. 
um, she said, your, your body has been producing this in huge amounts and now that you are starting to recover and relax, your body has to recalibrate the levels of that hormone. So it's, it's getting rid of the stuff that it doesn't need. <laughs> and that I could smell it. And put that crack pipe down. Yeah, put that crack pipe down. That's right. So, you know, that, that idea of, of, of being and presenting something that you're not, it's, it's, it's emotionally taxing, it's tiring, and it has, you know, it has physical effects on you as well. So I would, mm. being an intrinsically uh, <laughs> lazy person in some ways, it's much easier just to be who you are, really. It's less, less effort, that's for sure. <laughs> just be honest. For sure. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months? Well, the next 12 months, okay. So, um, well, I have started doing, well, I'm pretty much finished actually. Uh, I've done an um, infant massage instructor course. So uh, I'm going to start teaching parents of uh, newborns and, Mm. and little babies how to massage their babies. Um, which is something that's always interested me and something that I, I got a lot out of um, when I was suffering the, the postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm particularly interested in, in working with, with mothers and, and parents who are perhaps, you know, their, their introduction to motherhood hasn't been as, as smooth as they would have expected um, and helping them through that, through teaching them to massage their babies. It's a really great thing for bonding and attachment. So mm-hmm. um, I'm about two-thirds of the way through that. So sometime in the next 12 months I'll be running that as a little kind of little business that I do while while Ella's at school and, and Henry does one day a week of childcare. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, I've had uh, a plan for my own podcast, which has been bubbling away forever, which I've yeah. now put a, a time frame on. So hopefully within the next six right. months that'll be happening. Um, and, you know, I don't want to be too ambitious, but I would like to, I'd like to get back into writing in some capacity, mm-hmm. in a professional capacity. Writing is the thing that I think um, I've missed the most out of everything that I've done and, and I kind of, I want to write. I, I want to write and get paid to write. You know, I'm all for blogs and all that kind of stuff. But I want to. I want to use my my skill set and get back into to working as a writer. So, uh, you know, as a freelancer, it's a bit harder to find that kind of stuff. So I'll, I'll have to do a bit of digging. But yeah, ideally, within the next twelve months, I'll be I'll be writing for someone or something again. Because I, I have to say that that creative. Itch. I mean, I've I've really got no interest in doing stand up again. But the the creative mm. itch hasn't completely. Uh, it didn't get thrown out with uh, my placentas. Put it that way. It's still there. <laughs> it's still there, and it still needs to be scratched. So I, I'm happy to put it on the back burner while my kids are really little and and devote my time and energy to them. But mm. I tell you what, sometime within the next twelve months, I want to get back into that game. What do you mean you threw out your placentas? You didn't keep them and plant a tree on top of them, <laughs> no. or, or cook them with? No, we didn't cook them and have them on toast. We didn't. Mm. Um, we didn't have them dried. And this this is fascinating. I wish I'd known about this first time around. Didn't didn't have them dried and uh, pulverized and turned into a, a capsule, which I could then administer to myself. Apparently, there's been research done that that that. Um, helps stave off postnatal depression. So I didn't do that. There was a, um, a doula that I met 
uh, a while ago who told me that she uh, turns them into smoothies <laughs> that she then then gives to mm. new mothers. So fresh placenta smoothie, that's that's always an option if you find a placenta lying around. Uh, no, I didn't, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do any of that. I Just nick down to Coles and get some placenta. <laughs> yeah, Red Spot Special and down, down, placenta oh. down. Um, see, I haven't lost it. Um, no. Yeah, I, I did have a good look at them though. After after they yeah. serve their purposes, they are they are an amazing. I mean, you know, so much of, of cranking out a baby is amazing, but the the placenta is wow. That's, that's super a, intriguing. Oh, yeah, that is a fascinating piece of work. That one. Good on whoever invented placentas. Yes, well done to the placenta yeah. industry. Kudos, kudos to you. My compliments to the placenta maker. Terry, very clearly you're on Twitter. Are there any other social accounts you want to admit to? Um, yeah, I've got a Facebook account, but I did a oh, – this is going to make me sound like a real dead shit, but I did a huge cull of my Facebook thing recently because <laughs> when I started it up, I was using it as a – you know, increase your profile, you have to be on Facebook. And mm. so, um, you know, it, it was, I was a, I was a Facebook slut. I would accept anybody as a friend. <laughs> but then <laughs> after I just kind of stopped using it as a, as a, you know, profile building exercise. And, and certainly when I started posting stuff about my children on it, I went, mm, hang on, there's that guy in yeah. Dubbo that has always looked a little bit sus. Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll get rid of him <laughs> and about, uh, you know, 100 other people like him. So uh, I do I do use my Facebook account quite a bit. And, and to be honest with you, it's going to sound a little bit sad, but, I, you know, I don't go out and do stuff as much as I used to. Facebook's been really good for, for keeping in touch with people that I, that I don't, get to drink with anymore to put it <laughs> to put it simply um so yeah i do do use facebook quite a bit um yeah. and and yeah and twitter and i've got a my blog is still there on wordpress i haven't haven't updated it for a very long time but it but it's got um pretty much all the columns that i wrote for um the melbourne city week i did about 150 columns for them over three years which was so much fun so it's got all my columns and stuff on there and i'm really i'm really proud of that that writing work that I did, so that's all. That's all still there. I'm kind of using Twitter and Facebook more to try and uh, to try and keep in touch with people, but also in um, in in little little ways try and change the world more than <laughs> more than anything mm. else at the moment. Well, thank thank you, Terry. Thank you for for sharing what you have with us. It's, it's really special and, and important what you have shared. And and please know that you are highly valued. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. It's been nice to talk to you, and yeah, nice, nice to say a few of these things out loud. And certainly, as far as the, you know, the PND goes, if, if there is anyone listening to this who who is going through similar things, it's nothing to be ashamed of, and you should talk about it and 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 get help because life gets a lot a lot better when you do. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Terry Siakis is indeed.